that you're here tonight. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can take them and go to the book of Philippians, which is kind of, if you're looking at the Bible, split it in the middle, go way right, and you'll find uh, Philippians toward the end of the New Testament. If you have a smartphone, uh, we have version. If you have that app, it's free, and all my notes are on there, and all the scriptures we'll look at tonight are on there too. So we've been making our way through the book of Philippians. And, uh, well, you know, let me start with, um, yeah, it's so good to worship together because I know it's something that we can do in our cars and, and many of us jam out uh, to different things and we sing, these, we sing these truths. See, they're more than just catchy phrases. They're more than just words that we kind of utter. They're, they're godly truths that have a way of watering our soul. And uh, I just encourage you um, to make worship just a part of, of what you do. And that's what we get to do every week we gather. And we'll end tonight with a little bit more worship. And just in those moments that we have corporately, lean in with your heart and sing them not just as words to get through a song, but maybe to have that song kind of get through to you and deep into your heart and nourish you a little bit. And that's what we're going to do now looking into the Word. Our, our teaching team's kind of been leading us through the book of Philippians, and we've got about three more weeks after this to go through that. And I hope it's been really helpful for you. It's been a real fun little book, and, and it starts off in chapter 3 with this, this call to rejoice. How many of you know what it means to rejoice over something? We have a really boring crowd here tonight. <laughs> who is obviously deeply depressed, <laughs> and we need to pray. So let's, I'm just kidding. How many of you know what it's like to rejoice over something, right? Like your team, they win the game. Not like yesterday. <laughs> let's pause for a moment of silence. Okay, I'm good, I'm good. It took me all day to get over that. But, um, you know, it's just, we, we rejoice over, how many of you rejoice over, man, today is a great hair day. Have you ever just stood in front of the mirror and you're like, man, I'm good looking. I've done that a few times um, every day. But uh, just how many of you have, like, your children have written you notes if you have kids, right? And they bring you this note that they crafted with care, and it says, like, I love you. And, like, you had just yelled at them, like, five minutes earlier because they never cleaned the room, and they bring you this note, and they give you that puppy dog look, and it's like, Mom. <laughs> You're awesome. And in that moment, as a dad or mom, you're like, why don't I have more of you? And then five minutes later, you remember. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, it's this amazing few moments. So we know what it is to rejoice. We know what it is to rejoice over a good work day, right? When you leave the office or you leave the workplace and you're like, man, I actually accomplished what was on my to-do list. How many of you feel good when that's done? How many of you are list people? And you could check it off, and you, it makes you, like, skip out of work when you can do that, right? Some of you are principals. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, you know, it's amazing when we can rejoice over the circumstances of our life, true? But we also know the flip side of that, right? Because the reality of all of our circumstances, no matter what your situation is in life compared to what mine might be, is each of our scenarios might be different, but we know the opposite of rejoicing. We know lamenting, right? Like lamenting over the workday. Like, why do I even work here? Why did I get out of bed today? You know, just 
why does my hair just not fall out? It just doesn't do anything. Why? You know, just all these different things. You know, why does my team lose on Saturday two weeks in a row? It just, it's crushing. You know, whatever that may be, we know what it is to rejoice and we know what it is to lament. And if you let that be based solely on your circumstances, you will have a yo-yo life. It will be up sometimes and it will be down sometimes. And Paul, right in the very first verse of chapter 3, says something to us about where to rejoice and who to rejoice in. Typically, we rejoice in what? And Paul's saying, I want you to rejoice in who? Look what he says. Verse 1, chapter 3, here's what he says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the who? Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write this same thing to you because joy is a theme of the book of Philippians. In fact, when you read through Philippians, the the word joy will appear more in this book than any other book in the New Testament. And Paul is saying this idea of rejoicing, of kind of celebrating. You can celebrate in the what of life, and that's great, and you'll have half a yo-yo because the other part of the yo-yo is coming. The reality of life will be a roller coaster in your scenario and mine. And what he's saying is, you need to rejoice and learn what to rejoice, that rejoice in the who. And when you rejoice in the who, you can have constant joy, even when your happiness quotient may be going up and down. See, happiness is circumstantial, right? But joy is conditional. I mean, it's based on my condition of my heart, my connection, maybe you might say, to my God, and that he is constant, The book of Hebrews says that this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That in a world that is full of ups and downs, isn't it nice to have something constant? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you to rejoice in the thing, in the who, who is constant. He is always on his throne, even when things are thrown off, even when things are struggling, even when things don't make sense in your world, you can still rejoice. And then Paul goes on to have this incredible conversation. And tonight, um, as we kind of work our way through this, this is going to be a little bit more teaching heavy, okay, in the sense of there's some stuff in here that I think I want to call us as a church to grab hold of because it's so easy to let other things infiltrate what we're going to see tonight. And what Paul begins to say in these next few verses and what he kind of lays out in this part of the text that we're looking at tonight is an amazing foundation that we need to build our lives on and that we need to build his church on because it's the only foundation that matters and that won't have cracks when the circumstances of life come. It's going to be sustainable. I'm not sure about you, but maybe in life you were taught to build your confidence. Maybe growing up you were told, okay, you've got to work on your strength. Some of you have ever taken the strength finders test, maybe at your workplace, right? A few of you. And what that, what that test tells you is, here's your strengths. Here's what you're good at. Focus on those. And we're taught sometimes, okay, well, work on your weaknesses. Try to sure that up. And the reality of what um, the strength finders test kind of says, well, just major in your strengths. Find your sweet spot. And then you kind of work there to get stronger at your strengths, right? And you want to build your confidence. So you want to do things over and over and over again. So like for me, when I was learning to preach, 
and it's learning, okay? It's not a skill that you're born with. You may have some things, but when I, I remember standing in front of the mirror. Do you know how awkward it is to preach to yourself? Even when you're incredibly good looking, it's just <laughs> awkward to preach to yourself. And so it's this challenge that you have, but you work at it and you get better and you build your confidence. That's what we're taught, right? And that is a good thing. And it is worth us pursuing that. That's why we try to build the confidence of young people around us and of the kids. Maybe many of you are teachers. And you try to build the confidence of those that you're, you're kind of teaching and those you're shepherding in a way, right? You want to build their confidence because so much of the world tries to tear that down, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think what Paul's going to get at here is we can spend our whole lives building our confidence in the wrong thing. And we can make it all about our effort. And what he's going to say here is that's the wrong place to build your confidence. It works okay for a social setting and for the way we navigate the world. But in God's kingdom, that won't cut it. In fact, in God's economy, the way his kingdom works and the way it operates, you will always fall short if you're basing your spiritual journey on your confidence and your accomplishments and your achievements. The world runs with this mantra, if I improve, I will advance. And when I advance, I win, right? If I improve, then I'll advance. And if I advance, I win. And that's okay in a social setting. And that's okay in our work structures. But what God is getting ready to say is that's not okay in my economy. Because you'll work really, really, really hard. And you may advance in your own mind. But the reality is you will still fall short of perfection. And what Paul begins to say is something pretty crazy. The world runs on this mantra, and it's okay to run a social system that way, but God's system doesn't seem to operate that way. When I was a, a coach for my son's flag football team, right? So um, it was, they were young, seven, eight years old, and we practiced, friends. We didn't practice just once a week. No, we practiced twice a week. <laughs> Tuesdays, Thursdays. From 5 o'clock to 6.20. And we would practice and we would run drills and we would go over the plays. And I actually bought those little wrist guard things that they could look cool like the NFL and say, this is where I'm supposed to go. And it was amazing in practice. Then Saturday mornings would come. And then all the training we've done, we would put it to practice on the field, Right? And the season unfolded, one game after another after another, and friends, we were unblemished in our record. 0-9. <laughs> Perfection flipped. That's what I told them. Because I wanted to build their confidence. And at the end of the season, we go to the pizza place, right? And you have the party. Everyone's been to the party, right? And you're there for the sports team party, and everyone's there. And what do you do when you're 0-9, right? I'm going to tell you what I did. I gathered them all together. And after we had eaten pizza and shoved our face full, and we had played games and gotten the little cards that give you dumb toys, and we did all of that, we gathered together, and I had brought out a box. And I began to open the lid of the box. And I gave them all trophies. Now, some of you who are coaches, you look at me and you go, that's wrong. 
That is wrong, dude. You don't give, co- you don't give trophies to people who are 0-9. And I would say to you, Jesus would. I don't know that to be true. But I just, uh, that's what I'd say. I'm pretty sure he would. Why? Because we celebrate effort. And the coach would say, if you put forth the effort, you get the trophy. And God would say, you can put forth all the effort you want. And you still fall short. But guess what? I got a trophy for you. And that's what Paul is getting ready to say. Is if you want to go for your trophy, go for it. And you're going to go over. But if you want my trophy, you put forth effort, but don't base your life on effort. You base it on the fact that coach says you matter. See, we say in our culture, you matter because of your performance or because of your effort. And God says, you just matter to me. Not based on your performance. Not based on your effort. You just matter. You have value because I love you. And as a coach that day, call me wrong or not, I wanted the kids to know, because many of them, 75% of them, this was the first sport they ever did. And I wanted them to know you matter, not based on your effort. You just matter. And when they go home and they see their name on a trophy and they know they got to participate in something and they got to play, and maybe they didn't win, but it didn't matter the scorecard. It didn't matter the scoreboard. It mattered that they matter. And they needed to know that. They need to know these things. Here's what Paul begins to say, because Paul's going to talk about trophies. Here's what he says, verse 2. You watch out for those dogs. What? That's weird and rude. You watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil. Whoa, Paul. Those mutilators. What? (laughs) Those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, he says. He's, he's going out. What's happening is these, what's called this, uh, this sect of Judaism, right? This, this, what they're called Judaizers. This little kind of facet of a group that's extreme is beginning to gain popularity. And what they're trying to say is, okay, you can accept Jesus but it's Jesus plus something else in order to give life with God. So sure, you can accept Jesus, but you also have to get circumcised. Hello. If you're an adult male, that's weird, okay? Um, That's really what's going on in the first century. You have to understand that. And see, we have worship wars in the church today. Oh, I like contemporary worship. I like more contemporary worship. I like uncontemporary worship. You know, just whatever it may be, we have worship wars in the church. They had circumcision and diet wars back in the first century. That's what's going on. And all throughout the New Testament, Paul's addressing this to the church. In fact, regulations. He's even more difficult on those people because the Judaizers had really gained an influence in the church, and they hadn't quite gained that influence yet to the church in Philippi, but he's saying to them, you watch out, you beware. In fact, some of your Bible might have the word beware three times. Beware of these dogs. See, Jews would call Gentiles dogs. And here Paul's flipping it and saying, okay, no, it's these Judaizers. You're the ones who are the outcasts. 
You're the ones who are not getting it. You're evildoers. Well, the Jewish people were seen as, as good people, good, who did good works. Paul's saying, look, you're doing all these good works to try to attain something, and you're starting to eat away at the grace of God that's given to you, and it's evil. It's wrong. You're trying to add stuff. See, the gospel proclaims over and over, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what so many times what's happening in the church is people got into the church and into leadership and they started saying it's Jesus plus this. Jesus plus whatever. And Paul's addressing that and he's saying, no, you don't put confidence in your own flesh. Don't put confidence here when it's looking at spiritual matters. He goes on. We worship by the Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself may have confidence to do so. Now you're going to see the resume of Paul. Paul, the great apostle Paul, puts forth this resume that if we were back in that day would put us all to shame. He says this, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. This is like the elite tribe of the 12, right? Benjamin's the chosen. He's like, I'm from there. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. I'm upper echelon of law keepers, he says. As for zeal, I persecuted this cult thing called Christianity, the church that talked about Jesus and nothing else. I persecuted them. Paul oversaw the persecution of the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, think about that. I would never stand up here and say, yeah, I'm faultless. I've kept the law. I haven't broken anything. Paul did. See, Paul's lineage He's his history, if you will. If you go back and study his life, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the elite. You want to talk about a person who kept the letter of the law according to Judaism and the law given through Moses? It was Paul. And one day, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changes everything for him. And it's in that moment and in many moments to follow Paul begins to have this awakening to the reality of what he pursued. He pursued trophies, his own. I got a lot of trophies, Paul's saying, and I count them all but loss. Here's what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. There's your British accent. Consider them rubbish. That I may gain Christ. That I may be found in him, he goes on to say. I consider them all rubbish. Now what's interesting is you have to, to see, okay, did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament laws? Do they still apply to us today is an interesting question. And I guess it depends on your view of the law, the point of it. Was the point of the law to be a stairway to heaven? Insert music joke. Was the point of the law to be a stairway to heaven? 
that I climb these stairs, I fulfill these laws, I do this in order to earn life with God? Or was the point of the law, as Paul says later in Romans, to be a signpost to Jesus? Maybe it's not a stairway, because the reality is no one can climb those stairs, not even people who say they're faultless. They still fall short. Maybe the law was a signpost to point to Jesus. And that is what Paul began to realize on the road to Damascus, is this is all about Jesus, period. See, in the law, faith was shown by proving your worth to God. I will prove my worth. I will earn the trophies so that my coach, God, will celebrate me. And Paul began to realize what we all need to realize. You can't earn enough trophies. You can't earn your coach's love. True faith in Christ frees you from having to prove yourself at all to God or others. True faith that's founded in Jesus says, I get to rest. I get a trophy just because I'm here. Not because I earned it, but just because the coach says I can have it. That's grace. That's incredible. I wrote in my Bible these words for this section of Scripture. Um, I put it this way. Depend only on you, and you lose. Depend only on Jesus, and you win. Depend only on you, and you lose. A hundred times out of a hundred. But depend only on Jesus, and you win. A hundred and one times out of a hundred. What Paul is saying is you can't build your confidence on your effort or your performance, your activity, your obedience. And when you do that, when you try to live that way, and you try to let that be the measuring stick, you'll wake up one day exhausted, burned out, and you'll give up. But when you live your life based on the grace and the beauty and the marveling at what Jesus did for you, that you matter to the God of this universe, and that you can wake up, and that song we sang, you wake within me, that you can wake up to the reality that the God of this universe thinks you matter just because he says so. That fills your life with awe and wonder. Now, no wonder you want to pursue Jesus because you get to live out of that love. You don't pursue Jesus because you're trying to earn something. You pursue Jesus because you're already given something, something you can never earn. That's so counterculture to the world in which we live, friends. See, true faith must rest wholly on Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And any time we try to add in something after the plus, we're the ones that lose. And now for some of you, you may be coming back to church or maybe investigating church and you're like, whoa, you know, I just, grace seems so simple. And I would say to you, yeah. Grace seems so free. And I would say, for you, yeah. For Jesus, it cost him everything. But in his mind and in his heart, you're worth it. 
that. Friends, if we ever, it's so easy in our spiritual journey to begin thinking about trophies and medals and honors. It's so easy. Okay, we go to school and we earn and we earn and we, if I improve, then I advance. And if I advance, I win. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what accolades I have behind my name or what accomplishments I have. The ground at the cross is level and everybody's welcome, period. It's not based on my effort or what school I went to or how many years I went or just how many titles you have. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so often we try to turn the gospel into something else. We make that an entry level. Okay, here's what it is, and now you gotta, add, you gotta do this a little bit more. And, and listen, Paul's gonna get to this, that we, we need to aim our life at following Jesus and, and living obediently. But he's building a foundation here first and foremost. And what he's saying to us is don't get sidetracked. Don't try to earn your own trophies. Don't try to add anything to Jesus plus because it will take you down a path that you will regret and you will grow weary of. Why does Jesus look around in the crowds one day and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and you're worn out because you're trying to earn and you can't, but it's a free gift. That's what the book of Ephesians says, a free gift. By grace, in grace alone, we should never grow tired of grace. And the question is, if you find in your heart that you're growing tired and tired of hearing about it and you think you've already arrived, then friend, I would cause you to maybe pause and check your equation because I think you're trying to add something in. And I've done that. I've gotten to places where we try to measure people, right? We try to, to say, well, okay, this person's obviously following Jesus a lot better than so-and-so over here, right? And the truth is that may have a little bit of intimacy connection with God, but it's not my place to judge. It's not my place to say. See, Paul is saying, look, I count all of my lineage, all of my history, all of my accomplishments, all the things as rubbish. In fact, in Greek here, the word rubbish or garbage you might have in your scriptures, that's not strong enough. In Greek, it's literally, um, it's literally dog poop. In fact, really, to get the real phrase, I'd have to say a word, and then most of you would just walk out of here going, I can't believe you said that from the stage. <laughs> so you know what word I'm going for. Paul is saying, I count, in fact, that word only appears once in scripture. Here it is. And Paul's saying, I count all this other stuff that people try to measure as dog excrement compared to knowing Jesus and everything he's done for me. That stuff, the religious stuff that people brag about, it's just them trying to earn trophies. Everyone's eyes should be on Jesus and on Jesus alone. What he did how he pursued a relationship with us, how he came after us in love to win us back. He's awesome. And all eyes should be on him. That's what Paul's saying. Don't try to earn a trophy. 
This righteousness we try to create for ourselves, we try to create levels, and God's saying, no, there's one level, and it's grace. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 13, can I just read you this one verse? It's one parable. Here it is in a verse. Matthew 13, 44, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold everything he had and bought that field. He finds this treasure, this gift of grace. And when he finds it, he sells everything he's ever had before because he's got to buy that field. There's something there. And Jesus has this, this complexity of, of taking complex things and making it really simple. And he's saying the kingdom of God is like that. It's this grace of God that's available. And once you find it, you give up everything else. Because everything else is about effort and performance and activity, and it's about you trying to earn it, and you'll always fall short. So take the field that has the treasure. It's yours if you want it. That's what Jesus is saying over and over. Put it all in. If you've ever, if you've ever done like these Saturday nights um, when you like move all your chips in in poker and you're like, I'm all in, that's what Jesus is saying right here. When you find the grace of God, Go all in. Why? Because it's a bet you'll never lose. You're guaranteed to win. Go all in on that. What he says is, look, religion can actually keep you from knowing God. You can live a religious life, because Paul did, very religious, extremely religious, and he was missing life with God. He had life all around God, life about God, but not life with God, and that's drastically different. We can get lost in the maze of religiosity and never actually connect. My family went to the pumpkin patch, right, a few weeks ago, and we're wandering through the maze. Have you all been through the corn maze? Any corn maze. How many of you are scared of the corn maze? Okay, just to be honest. Okay, thank you to you. So, um, the corn maze is usually awesome, and the year before it was great. And then um, this year, we got into the corn maze, and it's me and my girls, and my son takes off, and uh, he's gone. So I've got the three ladies with me, and I'm thinking, okay, this is awesome. I will just lead us through this. And we've got the map, and we go through the corn maze, and, and you know, we hit a couple dead ends, and then we kind of circle around like, hey, haven't we been here before? And we're like... Yeah, we have. Um, so we got to go a little bit further. And it's now, you know, the, the sun is setting. And now the sun is set, okay? And it's a full moon, and it's nice. And I'm realizing about 45 minutes into this corn maze, um, hey, I'm still in the corn maze. <laughs> and this is not good. Um, now, I won't starve because I'm surrounded by corn. That's good. <laughs> but I am actually getting a little nervous, um, and so we kind of step up double time, right, and kind of go down the path. We realize we have been around this place like 20 times now because we actually put rocks out, and then we found our rock monument again, and we were like, wow, um, do we call for help? I, I don't know. Passed a couple other people. We tried following them. They were lost too, and that didn't help us either. So at that point, my girls look at me and say, Daddy, are we ever getting out of here? And I looked at them and said, I don't know. We may die. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say it. Um, but legitimately, I was getting a little nervous at this point. 
And I think what Paul is kind of saying is, look, you can get lost in the maze of religiosity. And the point of the corn maze is to have a good time in it, but the point is to get out, right? And the point of having life with God is to have life with God, not life about God or life with a lot of knowledge around God. The point is to have life with God. And see, friends, God didn't provide us a plan. He provided us a way. In fact, can I just remind you what Jesus said in John 14? He's saying to his disciples, hey, look, don't, uh, don't, don't be worried. I'm preparing a place for you, and when it's right, I'm going to come get you. Then he has this incredible phrase. Maybe you've heard this verse before. He says, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Paul is saying is, look, don't get lost in the religious maze of activities and performance. And what he really says, you could sum it up this way, avoid the dead end called rules and rituals. That's verses one through three. Avoid the dead ends of rules and rituals. Here's verse four through six. Avoid the self-deception cul-de-sac called heritage and practice. Avoid it. Take the highway called grace. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Get on the highway, Paul's saying. You want to do this. God didn't provide you a plan for you to work your way to God. He provided you a way that God came searching for you. Take that, Paul's saying. Don't get lost in these other things. God's grace pardons us forever and it empowers us for today. God's grace pardons us forever and it empowers us for today. He goes on, verse uh, nine and 10. Can we just read this real quick? He says, <clears throat> that I may gain Christ. I want to gain Christ. That's when I, that's the aim of my life. And I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Whoa, whoa. Sufferings. We don't like that word. I like the first part of chapter or verse 10. I want to know the power of Christ and the power of his resurrection, right? That's awesome stuff. But Paul goes on and says, you know what? Uh, there's participation in this life with God that comes through suffering. And I want to become like him, even in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection that is from the dead. I want to know Christ, and I want to know him in the highest of highs, in the power of his resurrection, and I want to know him in the depths of the depths and in the suffering. My mom passed away about eight, nine years ago now. Uh, diabetes and just major complications of all that. She was, she was awesome. One of my heroes in life. The best conversations I ever had with my mom were the last few years when she was going through the sufferings. I remember leaving for China on a mission trip and spending two days with her before I left because I wasn't sure if I'd come back 21 days later and she'd still be there. And I remember just the, the sincerity and the connection that we had in conversations and sharing in that suffering. 
and the depth and level of our conversations and connections in that moment, I wouldn't trade for anything. But I wouldn't wish them. Paul's saying, look, don't crave suffering, but don't avoid it either, because it will come your way. And in the midst of that suffering, that's when Jesus can feel closer than you may ever have thought possible. In fact, the, the word fellowship is really, it's koinonia. I want to know the partnership. I want to know the fellowship. I want to know the koinonia of being with Jesus even in the midst of suffering. Where's Paul writing this letter again? From prison. And he is deeply rooted and connected to his Savior, probably learning and growing more than anything else. He goes on, uh, just read these couple verses. Kimberly will pick up here next week. Not that I've already attained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I don't consider myself yet to have arrived, you might say. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what's ahead. Friends, I know too many Christians who are found and saved by grace, who are pardoned forever, but forget the second part of that combo of what grace is meant to do. Not only does it pardon you forever, but it empowers you for today. And I know too many believers that get stuck and they take themselves out of the game because they feel like God can't love them anymore, that they're too much broken more now. I've done too many things. The biblical gospel has never been, I will come to Jesus if. The biblical gospel has always been, I will follow Jesus even if. I'll follow him even if I have to go through some of this suffering. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In this world, you will have trouble. But you take heart. I've overcome this world. I'm with you. Blessed are you when you face persecution on behalf of me, Jesus says. And as you live, don't get stuck, don't get sideways. You keep having a focus. Maybe I'll leave you with these three things. God's calling us to a new focus. Focus on who more than what. All of our focus should be on Jesus. Not our identity, our accomplishments, our performance, our trophies that we try to earn. It's all focused on one trophy, it's the cross, it wins everything, every single time. And it's all about him. All about him. God calling us to a new goal and to finish well. He says, he kind of goes from this accounting language in verses 1 through 10 to this athletic language in verses 11 through 14. He says, here's a new goal. I want you to have a focus like an elite athlete. And your focus is Jesus. And you run and pursue him because he pursued you first. And as you live in that pursuit and in that grace, you pursue him. Because the goal is to become more Christ-like. To become more of who he's dreaming and recreating you to be. You move forward in that. And when you face a setback, because you will, when you face a setback, don't let it sideline you. Don't let it suspend you from your spiritual journey. Get back up and keep going forgetting what's behind, I press forward. Your best way to follow Jesus is with your next step. 
The best way of following Jesus is to take a next step. Don't sit and pout about your last one. Friends, you live under grace. Stop beating yourself up. You weren't good enough 20 minutes ago. You weren't good 20 years ago. You won't be good enough 50 years from now. But you are worth it to your Savior who says, follow me. God's grace pardons you and empowers you. Thirdly, as long as I'm alive, I have not arrived. As long as I'm alive, I have not arrived. What got the Judaizers in trouble is they felt like they arrived. What did Paul say? Faultless. I've arrived. I've got it. I've done everything, and I have it. And then Jesus showed up. He said, Paul, you missed it. And everything changed for Paul. As long as you're alive, you haven't arrived yet. What did Paul say earlier in Philippians? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? Complete it on the day of Christ Jesus, not your day. So keep moving forward. I want to pray with you. And as we celebrate uh, communion tonight, we have communion we do uh, every week here. Uh, on this campus, and, and we've got that on the left and right uh, up front, and we're going to sing a couple worship songs and kind of lean into that. And I want to invite you um, tonight, if you're a follower of Jesus, as you take communion, I want you to remember a simple phrase. All Jesus, all grace. It's all Jesus, it's all grace. That's what I live by. That's why we take communion. That's why we remember his sacrifice, his his life, his death, his resurrection. And as we sing, I want you to lean into that truth. I live by grace. And I haven't arrived yet, but he's got more for me to do. And the best way I know how I want to take a next step with him. Now, if you're here and you've never trusted your life to Christ, maybe you've been trusting yourself and your religious accomplishments and your activity and your pursuit, I want to say to you, aren't you tired? Wouldn't you want to try something different? And if that's you, and you're like, man, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm going to be right back here in the cafe. I'd love to talk to you about that. And I'm going to invite you over these next couple songs to come see me. And let's talk about that a little bit. And so let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the teaching that Paul gives us to, to live by grace and grace alone. And it's so easy to let something else wiggle its way into that. But it's Jesus plus nothing equals we got everything. We get the trophy. Because you said we could have it. That's all. We celebrate that. As we take communion tonight, we recognize that it's, it's all Jesus and it's all grace. It's not our effort, not our performance, not our accomplishments, or our achievements, our accolades. They mean nothing. You, Jesus, you deserve all praise. You deserve all the focus. And we want to be a people that lifts you up in the way that we live, in the way that we love one another, in the way we love you. Help us to pursue you as you've pursued us. Not to gain your love, but to celebrate the love we've already been given. To honor you. To say thanks with our lives as worship to you. We love you. We thank you.